0: And give these talks, it's often just something I've been thinking about over the past week or so, or a few weeks. And over the past few weeks, um, I've been thinking and contemplating um, the meaning of the word dukkha in uh, Zen Buddhist practice. And uh, you're probably all familiar with the word dukkha, which is the... Pali or Sanskrit word, uh, and how the Buddha taught the uh, the existence of dukkha and the ending of dukkha as being his main the main teachings of Buddhism. And um, you'll find that it, uh, when you read various um, Buddhist texts um, that have come to the West and different teachers. Um, Slightly different interpretations of the meaning, um, not only do we have different translations of the word itself, you know everything ranging from suffering, which is the most common translation. Uh, some people translate it as anguish, um, others have translated it as dissatisfactoriness. Most people might say that it's it's not possible really to translate it just using one word. Um, and then we have different different um sort of um interpretations over the uh, uh what do we include within dukkha, you know? And um, everything ranging from you know everything is dukkha to uh, uh other more nuanced interpretations of it. When you think about it, another people you know might make a distinction between say the um, um, natural the natural kind of um, events in life which may cause some kind of pain or difficulty um, um, and uh, such as uh, yeah well all the all the various elements of the body, natural catastrophes, etc. Um, and um, making a distinction between that perhaps and maybe the the trouble, stress and uh, and suffering which may come from conflict, which may come from the actions of human beings, our own actions. Um, I'm still you know, working my way through this, but I'm, I'm tending to um, start to think more in terms of how to make sense out of this, out of the ending of Dukkha. Like, you know, the, what does it mean for, is it to, for Dukkha to come to an ending uh, and um, I'm starting to think more in terms of the the connection, trying to connect. I guess the primary focus of what we're doing here in our practice is to be about the way in which human actions contribute to trouble, strife, and conflict, and suffering. And um, whether that's of, of direct consequence on ourselves. And in other words, the, the way our conduct or our actions or even our, our words or thoughts uh, can uh, impact and, and, and cause suffering for ourselves. And also how our actions can cause harm to others. So you can see how then it becomes a bit of a connection you know, between our conduct and uh, and karma and, and and the ending of dukkha. And um, and when the uh, as you know the uh, the, the four um, truths um, that the first discourse of the Buddha, you know the four noble truths. Um, you know the first one being the existence of dukkha or suffering. The second one being that there is a, a cause or condition or pattern which brings about the arising of Dukkha or suffering and the third one being that there is a kind of cessation of, of Dukkha and then the fourth one being the what they call the Eightfold noble Path or we've just called the Path towards the ending of Dukkha. We can simplify that the final part as being the um, what we've talked about a lot in terms of how we come together. What's our whole life story all about? What's our basic orientation to life? And I think, you know, you know, many people would want to have an orientation to life, which would be about bringing about, you know, less harm, more happiness. So our orientation to life is being about wanting to bring about more of a nomadic kind of uh, culture. As opposed to a a, a, a culture of ongoing suffering, and uh, and um, so the path is kind of like a, the uh, how you know, the intentions and the commitments that we bring to our practice. And. Look, there are many different. You know, again, there's lots of different ways that people emphasise about how you know dukkha or suffering is experienced. And then we could talk about per- at a personal level, or at an interpersonal level, or at a social level. I mean, um, um, a number of uh, a Buddhist uh, teachers will talk about um, the importance of. You know, expanding our horizons to include things like the social aspects of suffering, poverty, homelessness and hunger, um, unemployment, you know, discrimination, etc. Boundaries, walls, um, how we come to terms with building equality in a a world full of so much poverty and discrimination. Or we could talk about more personal forms of suffering. Uh, you know, the areas of often mental health, you know, stress, anxiety, depression. And, um, as well as the usual aging and illness and death. Uh. Then of course you have the old interpersonal realm, or the relational realm too. The whole you know, loneliness, uh, self-judgment, or fear of the judgment of others. Uh, endings of relationships, being rejected, wanting to be seen and acknowledged, or fearing to be seen, fears of um, attachment and intimacy, avoidance of emotions, and so on—all this interpersonal realm of suffering as well—and um, um, and of course, the the how how we come to terms with. All these emotions which come up in our life, uh, are we able to face them, or do we try to deny them or avoid them, and uh, do we avoid them through various addictions, which creates more levels of suffering, etc. So we can see it's you know it's a very uh, multi-layered, multi level multi-storied area when we start to talk about dukkha, suffering, and what does it mean to talk about the ending of it? I mean, and uh, you know as we uh, sometimes metaphorically speak of our orientation or our path is being on the Bodhisattva path and um, the path of wanting to liberate or free all beings from this trouble and strife and conflict and suffering and, um, and we have all those, we have those aspirations, we can carry those aspirations we can carry the aspiration for the ending of poverty, we can carry the aspiration non-violence, uh, even though we know that it, it's, uh, it's very unlikely that politics will come to an end in our lifetime. And violence and so on. And then, so how do we relate that back to our Zen practice? And in many ways, the, the foundation, two foundations of Zen practice, the first foundation being Zaya Zen. How, how is zazen? Zen? Foundation for realizing dukkha and realizing the ending of dukkha. Um, in our in our practice, uh, even the very posture uh, or the very commitment to stop, sit, be still and experience whatever's coming out and to be open and inquiring. Um, in Buddhism the word investigate or inquire is, is really important as opposed to avoiding or denying or pushing away in our in our Zaza in practice. Uh, we're wanting to be practicing that openness, that that what is this? This this sense of investigating on moment by moment experience uh, and seeing if we can actually see in that process the the, the, the ways in which um, you know, dukkha may arise and the way in which dukkha may end, even right there, while we're practising Zai Zen. The other foundation of, of our Zen practice and Zen, unlike some other uh, forms of meditation, has always been very communal. Uh, so when the monks practised in the monasteries, they did everything together. They slept in the same hall where they meditated. They ate in the same hall where they meditated. Um, It was a a, a deliberately communal practice. Um, So it's sometimes easy to sort of um, you know think of hermits in the mountains or the solitariness of meditation practice, but that's actually not not quite on on the mark. It's it's more about the communal sharing of the practice. And so when getting off the cushion was all that sort of living together which monks had to do, you know, which we, as um, householders, we have to do uh, within our own lives. And, uh, and so Zen was often, the other foundation of Zen was very public, and, uh, and it would either be um, in, the, in the sense of these uh, uh, encounters or interactions with the, with the teacher, um, and, and these were often in public. Uh, uh, so often uh, there would be uh, these kind of Dharma, sometimes referred to as the Dharma combat in the Zen tradition, but basically these Dharma dialogues or Zen dialogues that, that would take place and all the stories of Zen that have been carried, you know, handed down from one generation to the next, uh, these uh, dialogues between teachers and, and students usually. And uh, so, um, in, in 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 our practice here, I've started to focus on that that aspect of the public dimension of Zen practice. And we've, you know, we've, we've we could so we could call it. We've talked about you know compassionate witnessing. Uh, We're starting to do more Zen dialogue in in, in public. And uh, so that's when you know we may like. Uh, like last fortnight uh, when we, we had that conversation and we had the witnessing and, and I've been doing more of that in my practice, so rather than uh, it's, uh, often referred to as pu- public interviews in Zen practice, or we could just call it Zen dialogue where we engage in dialogue together, either in pairs or in the people uh, and also being, being reflected upon or, and listened to by others in the group. and. Um, and I guess the other aspect of that aspect of Zen practice is the whole question of social engagement. Everything ranging from how we conduct ourselves and how we relate to our families and our friends to how we participate and the, the various different ways in which we socially engage. And, and all of you here, I know, uh, get involved in the various social projects. And that's, again, that's just another dimension, an extension of our practice. Uh, so um, and also when we're uh, in our in our sitting practice, um, so coming back to this question of investigate and inquire, we can do that both in our silently in our in our zazen practice. You know, where we. Uh, uh, observing our thoughts or indeed if we just even if we're practicing letting go of, of, of thoughts, opening the hand of thought. Um, I mean often the um, a lot of a lot of Buddhist teachers when it comes to the, the cessation of dukkha, uh, the ending of dukkha, speak a lot about the metaphor of letting go. Uh, and uh, you, know, you can almost almost you know use the metaphor of letting go to be the equivalent of, of waking up. Um, the sense in which we let go of entanglements that, uh, and attachments and so forth uh, in our thinking and emotions that arise and how that, how we take that into our relationships and so forth. So how our, our, you know, our daily practice of science and how it continuously uh, you know, we practice that almost on a, on a, on a, on a, uh, in our guts in a, in a, in a procedural way when, when Dogen talks about thinking not thinking or going beyond thinking it 's that sense of um, um, non attachment to that self sense of preoccupation rather after important and um, and so then of course, and then when we get off the, off the cushion and into our life um, the practice is never ending so in one sense um you know, a dukkha is something which never, in a sense, uh, if we think, we can't think in terms of just, you know, individual liberation or individual ending of dukkha. So in some senses, we know that dukkha is not going to end, it's going to be, in our lifetime anyway, it's going to continue in the sense in which people will continue to engage in in actions which cause harm to others. And, um, um but, um, you know, when Buddhism first came to the West in the nineteenth century, it was often seen as being a very pessimistic religion because of that teaching of suffering. Which uh, a number of contemporary teachers, such as Thich Nhat Hanh uh, and the Dalai Lama, have tried to, I guess, so through folk, you know, emphasising that also about joy and happiness and uh, you know, uh, understanding moments in our lives as well where we. Is it possible to be free of suffering? Is it possible to experience different levels of um, uh, joy in our lives? And is it possible to see how we can, how how our actions, our intentions, you know, are, are, uh, contribute to that? Um, and so I just want to just open that up a little bit for a few uh, comments or. Questions or stories that you may want to tell about that. I mean, if you got any thoughts, Angie or Stuart, guy, about if uh, you ever had any questions about about this in Buddhism, about suffering and the ending of suffering, and is it a pessimistic, you know, thing, or um, or is it about um, the possibility of? Um, of joy and happiness and um, respect and um, treating each other well and so forth. What what what? you have any? Have you thought much about that? About this question?
1: Mm. Um, look, I was, I've just from hearing you talk there, and just sort of some of the thoughts I've had about it. It sounds like and some of the things we talked about before. Uh, that whole thing of um, of letting go. So it's not like necessarily about what's actually happening to you, but how you relate to it. And if there's stuff that's sort of out myself, stuff that's been causing me hassles or problems or whatever, I suppose just looking at the need to for that just not to be an issue for me anymore, you know, um, and and so I suppose then I'm, I think on, on a more global level, um, I mean that's where it's a bit different, I think, but I suppose the for me the intention of no. um, of you know of, of things being good and, and um, people being good to each other and, and all that sort of thing um, is, is something that you can do on, a, you know, um, on, a, on an intentional level yeah. um, and it's almost like mm-hmm. suffering is like the, perhaps the, the personal experience like something happened to this person, happened to that person, happened to that person but how are they I suppose perceive it or how they um, intend to experience that sometimes makes a difference. Yeah. So I mean I can't imagine the external things happening where there's no causes of sort of suffering, but how people experience, you experience that <coughs> the suffering, or you experience that as learning, or you experience that as something else. And I suppose sitting here and looking at when we're sitting and, and watching the stuff go past, and like that last reading um, about just just observing things makes a difference to whether, whether you find that something
0: that's suffering something that's just doing. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, there's often the, the metaphors about the two wings of wisdom and compassion and how they've you know, they're both interconnected and both go together. And there's something I often like to think about um, the practice too as being so that the sense of letting go, and the sense of letting go is almost, can't go. It, again, it includes both wisdom and compassion, but you could say it's a kind of maybe a wisdom about the ability to just, just cut through that and let it go and not get hooked into it. Mm. And on the other hand, uh, the other aspect of our practice being about the compassion zone, which is I think more about the demonstration, the responding, you know, the action. Mm. Um, so it's a sense in which we're doing both, I think, you know, like it's a little bit hard to Yet the responding so much that the I think when we're sitting it's 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 more of a, uh, a being with and a letting go. Mm-hmm. But once we get up off the off the seat, I think it's um, also quite often about uh, the response mm-hmm. that we can bring to to each situation we find ourselves in, and we can never predict what that situation is going to be. Mm-hmm. But if it's an interpersonal one, you know. Um how, how we respond to the to uh, how we let go at the same time so that the we don't perpetuate, escalate conflict, um, trouble, stress, strife, suffering, all these different words we have you know, in And I think in, the, in, in a public engagement, in a social engagement sense, I think there's a bit of a, seamless, you know, a sense in which, you know, it's seamless as to how we respond to our, our partner, our children, and how we, would, how we respond to our neighbours, which is quite inclusive, isn't it? We could actually think of our neighbours and our families as being the global population of the world. As to exactly what we can, how we can respond to that, but it becomes that, the kind of the or that orientation in our, in our life. Guy or Stuart, you want You got any thoughts about this in the years of Buddhist practice? I think.
2: Yeah, I think the first noble truth is important because. Um, you have to acknowledge that suffering arises in your life. You know, uh, things happen which are disappointing or, or you know, painful, or, or, and so on. And then I think Buddhism also puts forward a whole lot of techniques for coping with that suffering. So first of all, if, if, if you uh, I should imagine there's people who never really acknowledge that there's suffering. You know, they you know they try suppress it or something like that. So first of all, you acknowledge the suffering. That's how I see, uh, you know, the full noble truth. And then you, then you, then you uh, look to the teachings to give you techniques to cope with those sufferings. So if something happens in your life, uh, um, often things happen which we don't like but we have to accept them. So a basic Buddhist teaching is accepting what's happened, uh, accepting it totally sort of thing. So you know, there's, there's the truth of suffering. Acknowledges that, that, and then there's a whole lot of techniques to help you cope with this truth of suffering, to 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 um, wash it away or something like that. So you end up with perhaps a period of. Uh, peace, or even happiness, but then more suffering will arise. So my observation is that it sort of goes on and on I don't know if, if we ever do reach a nirvana where it, all, where it all stops. So, you know, I've often wondered about that issue of wisdom and emptiness. Uh, and so there's so many techniques, and all these different books that you can read these days have so, so many techniques. Yeah. So y- use any of them that work
0: mm. Mm. Yeah, thank you yeah I mean, I mean i I agree with you about the uh, yeah, the importance of, in the, of just that ability to recognize and a lot of teachers talk about this stuff the recognition and the acknowledgement, the understanding of of of, of suffering yeah, yeah. and uh, that's definitely the, the probably one of the most important first steps is to actually acknowledge it and and seek to understand it through that notion of investigation and inquiry Um, because we can't really investigate into something or inquire into something if we're pushing it away or denying it and so we need to and and, and, and in that process um, often there will be a shift that occurs which will create the conditions for letting go once we're able to stop struggling with something, like yeah. you said, and just accept and, 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 and allow it to be. And um, uh, it's a little bit different though when it comes to the question of um, um, the social um, dimension of Dukkratu. It? It's kind of like, um, we don't necessarily say, We want to accept, you know, poverty do or violence. Um, we might say we might, might not want to try and stand it. And, uh, and um,
2: yeah. yeah, I mean that's a that's a tough one. I mean, yeah. it's just like going to India and seeing all the you know, terrible lives that a lot of the people live. Not all the people, but some of them certainly have. Yeah. Uh, hard, hard lives, and you'd like to. Um, you'd like to, you know, fix it up, and of course lots of people would like to fix it up, you know, the Marx and people like that were trying to create a system, an economic system that would remove all that stuff, but it hasn't been done yet, and, and so you, you end up, if, if it distresses you to see all this suffering, you end up Doing the little bit you can, which is pretty limited, you know. But I suppose I like to think that my view is doing doing the little bit that you can is a better attitude than doing nothing or 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 or, or saying go away, you know, just de- denying this. Yeah. So so you go through all this pain of seeing the suffering. And you do a little bit, and you, you have to somehow uh, come to a conclusion that that's that's what you can do, and get a bit of bit of, I suppose, peace from that.
0: Yeah. And 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 and, and we, yeah, and we and we and do a little bit, and we we take the the teaching of interconnectedness, mm-hmm. and you know, in the same sense, if, you know, we. If we, if we deny certain um, aspects of ourselves and try to push them away, mm. they will come back and bite us in mm. some way. Um, mm. You know, in the same way on that social level that we can almost like, you know, put out our minds and, and deny the, the suffering which is going on in other parts of the of the, of the globe and uh, deny that interconnectedness. But, uh, whether it's global warming, whether it's poverty, whether it's, the unequal consumption of, um, you know, energy or whatever, yeah, yeah. But, um, but that little recognition that uh, the the that that, that that basic orientation, that path that we're on, uh, that's part of our practice too, isn't it? So yeah. It's um, um, how what we consume. Some awareness of that, like you said, at least starts with you know, starts with acknowledging it, doesn't it, yeah. like you said? Yeah. Um, and it's often not acknowledged um, a lot. I mean, <coughs> even in these you know these terrible acts of violence that yeah, that yeah, go yeah. under the name of terrorism, yeah. um, which is um, you know seen as being evil, and there are evil acts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's very little attention playing to the evilness of the inequality in the world. And not paid much attention to on on, on the information that people are given. Yeah, Um,
2: yeah. look, a question that
0: I think I thought about before that occurred to me again today is um, about letting go and, you know, is letting go an end? It yeah. Yeah. Which comes back to that question about you know the ending of, of okay. yeah. Um, I certainly don't think it, we, we will ever uh, bring in necessarily an ending to it, but I think it's that orientation. Like so, if if it's possible to think in terms of a maturing practice or a maturity within our lives. That, that, that growing sense of development of skills or wisdom or compassion as we mature more than the, the, the sense in which maybe in the, uh, we don't create as much harm for ourselves or others as we mm. as we move along the path. So there's that gradual reduction of Dukkha that we're contributing to or creating. Or maybe it's more about that. Then. Uh, but, but you know, each moment by moment, by moment, yeah. Um, and uh, we want to be able to enjoy and appreciate our lives as well, don't we? Mm-hmm. We want to be able to enjoy the, the trees and the flowers and mm-hmm.
1: the
0: beauty, yeah. even though there's immense suffering everywhere.
1: So. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll take a the a short period before the, the, the new beginning becomes evident. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not so much as a loss, but as a, as a gain a some somewhere. I suppose opinion one. How, how much you attach to the beginning, you want to go?
0: Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. We might bring that to a close then. <clears throat> um.